Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Kirk Your Enthusiasm. You're joined once again by the most important and my favorite Denver area sports uh, content creator who is currently shaking his glass filled with ice uh, at the microphone because I once went on his show, shit canned and chewed ice throughout it. Just really like top level professional quality for me. My friend and head of content over there at DNVR, Adam Mares. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. It's so funny. You made an innocent mistake once five years oh, no. ago. It was like and, a minute long mistake. Like those, it wasn't a, sh- like, it wasn't a small mistake. Like you'll I never live it down. This. I'll be at your funeral and I'll walk up and I'll shake some ice. <laughs> well, what's really funny about it is the people that know about it, where it's just like all the, like, all of a sudden I'll be in like, cause I run these Spotify lives and every now and yeah. again, someone will pop in and be like, why are you chewing on ice Kirk? And it's like, I'm, I'm not <laughs> anyhow. So Adam, I, I kid you not, um, actually texted me this, guys, about 20 minutes ago. I should warn you, I'm prepared to spit some hot fire and your Slovenian audience is going to anoint me king. I don't really care that I read our texts on air. Because... I set the bar too high. I said that, no, was, no, no. That, was, that was a no. text for you, not for the audience. Now, well, here, here, oh, here's no. the deal. Here's the deal, team. I have been stalking Adam for a while. Adam has a busy, has had a incredibly busy offseason. For those of you who have have maybe been in hibernation to a degree um, because you're not paying attention to basketball or you're really only focusing on the very sad sack Dallas Mavericks offseason, Adam took, uh, I want to say, six other staffers from his site, DNVR, and they went over to Serbia to record, like basically put start putting together a bit of a documentary. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, it's funny calling it a documentary because I don't – I don't know what classifies a documentary. It's really like, I mean, we make, we're, we're making a story. We're going to went around and you talk to people. I went around and talk to people. We did some stuff. We drank some stuff. We ate some stuff and we learned a lot of stuff. And so we're making a, yeah, like a, a feature, you know, I don't know, probably an hour long, maybe hour and a half long thing. That's both about our trip and also about the most interesting things that we learned there, which was this question we wanted to know. Why are so many good players coming from Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia? Why are so many good players coming from there? What's the history? What's the relationship? Uh, And and so it'll be about that alongside just about our experience on the trip. So for our our younger fans, um, and, you know, we have a wide variety of people that tune into this show because I've – People that tell me they're Mavs fans, you know, from from like 1981 on. And then I know there's a few teenagers. And I think the teenagers, the younger end, Yugoslavia will ring a bell, but Yugoslavia will not mean anything. So what countries that are are, what current countries uh, that we, you know, that we're talking about here make up like the, the former Yugoslavian Republic? So I mean, I'm, you're, you're putting me on the spot here to try to get all of them, but it's going to be Bosnia and Herzegovina, Croatia, Macedonia, Montenegro, Serbia, Slovenia, and then also Kosovo. So you're talking about like, think about the basketball players from Bosnia, then Croatia, then Serbia, Slovenia, Montenegro. Like that's a good portion of NBA player. That's a, I don't know what the total number of players is when you add all of those together, but it's a lot. It's not like five or six. It's like two dozen. Mm. And for it's a country that broke up. Gosh, when did it break up? But it, it's it's a it's a nineteen ninety one. It's it's the kind of country that had things. You know, had they not broken apart following like the Soviet Union downfall, and if things worked out differently. 
it's the sort of grouping of countries that very, very quickly and easily might have put the United States on firm notice in terms of basketball superiority. So I so I already have to interrupt you here, Kirk. I'm okay. already gonna have to interrupt you here because Let's do it. this this is this is part of what's fun. And I've told this story, like the people, there's gonna be a lot of people turn, tuning into this just when they see me on Twitter, you know, they're from Serbia that are tuning in. Sure. And I'm I'm telling the story, I think, for the second or third time, but it's a Ooh. great story. It's a great story. And and it's going to be a story I continue to tell, including in documentary form. But one of the things that shocked me when I was out there and talking to people, 1991, uh, the 1992 Yugoslavian team never existed. Yugoslavia right. is starting to fall apart. But had it existed, some high-profile people believe it would have truly challenged the Dream Team, that this was a team that was like, hey – the dream team was awesome, but they were kind of just like we've seen in 96, 2000, 2004, kind of thrown together, collection of guys. It's a single elimination game. And Yugoslavia had a team that was like forged that had been together. And let me tell the story here. 1987, this team comes together for the FIBA World Cup, 19, the, the U19 FIBA World Cup. They're, they're, they go off and do this incredible training. You have Vladi Divac, Tony Kukoc, Dino Raja. You got a lot of these guys that end up playing and having careers in the NBA as well as a whole host of other guys that had long European careers, they come together in this like very Rocky Four-esque type way where they like go off into the mountains and train um, ridiculous, crazy style. They, they come together as a group of friends basically and are forged in this like forest in the mountains. And then they go on and they beat the U.S. that featured Gary Payton and Larry Johnson. Uh, you know, they beat them that year twice, not just once. They beat them in pull play and then they beat them again in the tournament. So this was a team that already had experience at the same age playing against NBA talent. They go into 1988, which is the Olympics, and they lose to the Soviets actually in the gold medal game. You know, the Soviets, remember, beat, beat the U.S. They go to the third place game. Yugoslavia, they take the silver medal in that one. 1989, they win Eurobasket. 1990, they win the gold medal, uh, FIBA World Cup. 1991, they go back to Eurobasket and they win the gold. And in all of these, I don't think they trailed at halftime. This is a dominant five-year run where you're talking about four gold medals, one silver medal, it, basically the same team. What was the um, age group again? Did you say U19? That was where it started, but then okay. after that, we're so then they progress up. Okay, after that, yeah, you're just talking about regular, you know, international competitions, and they're adding guys like Drazen Petrovic. You know, there's there's other great players that are kind of uh, that are starting to join this team. So this is a team that went through five years of international competitions and has four golds and one silver. But in 1991, Yugoslavia starts to split up. In fact, it starts to split up during the uh, the games. Oh, in 1991, in the semifinal game, one of the Slovenian players has to flee the team because all of a sudden he's at war uh, with, with the rest of, the, of Yugoslavia, and he flees. They go on to win that medal, and in 1992, when the Dream Team, obviously, they go to Barcelona, the Yugoslavia, which is basically now Serbia and Montenegro, it's starting to fall apart. Croatia, Bosnia, they're all starting to you know go independent. The wars are breaking out. In 1992, they're banned. They're sanctioned. They're kicked out of the games. They're not allowed to compete. 1993, not allowed to compete. 1994, not allowed to compete. Why? I, I, again, this is there's a war breaking out, um, and the international community is kind of looking at Yugoslavia here and saying, mm. hey, and, and it's interesting, and look, you're going to get a lot of comment and a lot of feedback. I kind of want to remain apolitical here. Sure. 
because Croatia was allowed to play in those games. In fact, Croatia took uh, the silver medal, I believe, in 1992 against the Dream Team. They lose by like 18 points or something in the gold medal game. But it's still, it wasn't 50 like every other team was. And that was just Croatia. That wasn't all of Yugoslavia. That was just one of the sort of nations that made up Yugoslavia. But Serbia is not allowed to play. Well, actually, at the time, it's Yugoslavia. But it's basically Serbia and Montenegro, what Serbia and Montenegro are today. 92, 93, 94, they're not allowed to play. In 95, they're finally allowed back in. It's Eurobasket. Um, and it's just, again, Serbia and Montenegro, basically. It's still Yugoslavia, but you're missing all the guys from Croatia, Slovenia, you know, these other Bosnia, these other nations. You're missing those guys. But just that team goes as an underdog, upsets Greece. The games are in Athens, upsets Greece in the semifinals, and then has a major upset over Lithuania that featured Sarunas Marshalonis and Arvita Sabonis and Arturis Karnasovas. Like these guys. What year was that? 1995 Eurobasket and one of what is widely considered one of the best European basketball games ever played. And a guy who's sort of the Kobe Bryant of, or maybe the Allen Iverson of Serbian basketball or Yugoslavian basketball. His name is uh, Georgievich. He has 41 points in that title game. The most clutch performance ever goes nine of 12 from the three point line and they upset Lithuania. So you have gold in 87, silver in 88, gold in 89, gold in 90, gold in 91, then you're outlawed for three years, and then you win gold your first year back as a smaller nation You know that lost all these things. It's just a really cool story that somehow we've never heard. Like The West never has heard of this great team that had this incredible run. And when we talk about the Dream Team, you know, it's all, oh, there was nobody that could challenge. There was one team that maybe could have, but they were falling apart at that exact moment as a nation, and the core of them weren't even allowed to compete. The There may be for our super hardcore basketball fans, some familiarity with a team known as the other dream team, which was the team that you just mentioned in 1992, the Lithuanian team made it to the bronze medal game. But this, the team that you just described was the team that lost to this, you know, the newly reformed country in 1995 in this incredible game that you're mentioning. So it's when you're talking a shrunken country, by the way, you're, I mean, Yugoslavia was made up of Croatia, Slovenia, but like they're, basketball players coming from all of the region and by the time you get to 95 it's just basically serbia and montenegro that's left so you're missing out croatia was also good at this point so you could combine basically two or three of the top five teams would have made up yugoslavia which again trying to stay political here but there there's a lot of crossover Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the things is a lot of like the slovenians would speak serbian and croatian there's parts of croatia that are ethnic serbs Ethnic Croats would be different. Bosnia has Serbs li- that live there and so on and so forth. So it, it's when we talk about these different countries, there's actually the same ethnic groups of people living in all of them uh, just kind of mixed together. Yeah. And I want to reiterate what Adam said. A couple of Americans, Adam knows a lot more than me. Do not yell at me too much. Yell at me about the normal stuff. Not anything I get mixed up here. Right. But this is... The the whole point of of sort of you know an element of why you're there and is the fact that you have found this particular story quite reasonably incredibly interesting and you want to tell it to an audience that you know frankly I think would you know the more you more I mean this is 
like really interesting to me. I mean, you, it's you like pitch. fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> it's fascinating. Like, here's the thing about it is if here's the genesis of it. We know that so many people come from the Yugoslavian region, so many great basketball players, right? Like if I just said Luka and Jokic, two of the five best players in the NBA right now hail from this region. What is it about the region that's bringing so many players? And then you talk about, you know, uh, you've got Vlaco Chanchar right now, obviously, with Slovenia. You've got uh, Bogdanovich. Both Bogdanoviches actually come from former Yugoslavia. You've got um, Vucevic. You've got all these different players. You could actually go on and on. Jovic now. Um, you got all these different players. And it's like, how? Like, why? You would... It's the same way as we all know what a New York City point guard is. We know that there's like this Rucker Park. You've got handle. You 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 have a swagger to you. If you come out of New York as a point guard, you're probably quick and dynamic. Like we know that, but yet we don't know anything about this region that's producing at the current era some of the best players. And oh, by the way, 20, 30 years ago was also producing some of the best players. We just don't, for whatever reason, know that story. And I don't understand why. Yeah, I mean... In a world where we have so much access to all sorts of video of information, it's pretty wild to me that, you know, you're, you're sort of, I don't want to say you're telling it for the first time, but I think you might be be telling it to an audience that yes. has been flooded with international basketball for the past 10 years. And somehow this element of it has always managed to remain quiet. I mean, there was a picture, and I think you'll remember this, from the bubble where all sort of like the Baltic region players got together to have dinner. And I, I, I don't want to say anything out of school here, but it's like a lot of those guys in theory, what you're saying here is, you know, in a different time had things broke differently in, in the political stance, these guys all right. could have hailed and played on like right. the same national team, no, which no, but Kirk, he did though. That's the thing that's so interesting about Yugoslavia is, and again, I'm trying to stay apolitical sure. here. And, 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 and by the way, like you, I'm sure you have a lot of Slovenian listeners. Yes. I'm an open mind. I'm, I'm, I'm an open mind. Like you have some things slide into the DMS. My DMs are open. Slide and say, "Hey, here's the perspective. Maybe you missed, or you 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 know got different." Because I'm open to sort of educating myself as I go through all of this. Is why I flew all the way to Serbia. Went to the trouble of sitting down and talking with people over there to try to learn it. Um, but yes, this is what part of what makes Yugoslavia as a nation interesting is when we're talking about the 70s and even into the 80s, we're talking about a nation of different peoples, and and, and it's somewhere caught between. Um, not really East and West, but, but between East and West of the Western world, meaning like the Soviets and the U S it's, it was a different, it was a, uh, a socialist or communist nation, but it was not, it was sort of anti-Soviet. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's a Orthodox Christianity is, is in the region that we think of Catholicism and Protestantism as like the two pillars of Christianity. There's this third arm, Eastern Orthodox Christianity. So Yugoslavia actually represented this sort of third rail of 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 uh like western society i guess that's that's kind of interesting and they made it they made up with various religions and histories and cultures they made up this like unified nation for many years before ultimately falling apart in a very bloody and and and, and horrific way Jeez. so we've talked about a little we've talked some history we've talked some heavy elements of this I want to hear about the trip in terms of the, you know, I follow you on Facebook and on Twitter. We're friends. We've been friends for a long time. This oh. seemed like the absolute trip of a lifetime for a lot of fun <laughs> reasons too. So why don't you tell, 
tell my audience a little bit about some of what you experienced both culturally and from the fact that you got to go to an absolutely stellar Greece-Serbia game, which looked to me like one of the coolest live sporting events a person could go to. Kirk, it was because this was a World Cup qualifying game, not to be confused with Eurobasket, which begins in a few hours here. Um, Slovenia, I think, is the very first game played or second game or something like that um, that's playing. But Eurobasket starts. But before that, you had World Cup qualifying. These were must-win games for Serbia and for Greece. They're playing against each other. Only so many teams get in. And the way they qualify, I don't want to go into it. The way you it's have a mess. Really, We've talked about so it dumb. on this show. Yeah. It's so dumb. But nonetheless, you control what you can control. And both teams could control this moment in time when they had their best player. For Serbia, Jokic. For, for Greece, they had Giannis. And they played this game in Belgrade. And, Kirk, I kid you not, I was the only person there from the U.S. covering the game. I don't understand this. We watched Bronny James on ESPN, regular ESPN. We watched his like high school games. We watched LeBron goes to the Drew League and plays against some Joe Schmoes and, and it's broadcast everybody and it leads SportsCenter. Giannis and Jokic are the two best players in the NBA. They're the two reigning MVPs. You know, Jokic two times, Giannis two times. These guys are going at each other in a game that means everything. The intensity was at 100. The atmosphere was at 100. And oh, by the way, loser might miss the world out on the World Cup. Almost certainly will miss out on the World Cup. You had the stakes for this. It went into overtime. It was a sellout crowd, and yet nobody's there. It's not televised, and there's not a single media member from the U.S. even talking or covering this game. And oh, by the way, the NBA tweeted out that it was Eurobasket because they don't even know what the F is going on. They're like, "Is it, what, what's this game being played? To me, it was insane. But, um, but yeah, that game was fantastic. It was an incredible game. And going out there, I just gained such a deeper appreciation for these international competitions for two reasons. One, because of how much they mean to the people. And I'm sure the Slovenians listening to this can, att- can attest. They're like, hey, yeah, Dallas Mavericks are cool, but the Slovenian team, right? We, this, is, this is the real deal right here. But, um, you know, so it was cool for that. But number two, Kirk, the basketball was so, like, the gap between what I saw in that Greek versus Serbia game versus what you see in an NBA game, it's not that different. It really isn't that like the, the rest of the world has caught up to where I think the NBA is obviously the best league, but you wouldn't know it from just watching one off games like that. The competition was great. It was a phenomenal game. All the, it was like a playoff atmosphere because it meant so much. It was so important and it went to overtime. It just didn't disappoint. Yeah. And, and here, here's, here's why let's, there's a couple of items from that game that I want to talk about that are extremely important. Giannis and Jokic played each other, and I think at the moment, in terms of, you know, look, this is a Dallas Mavericks podcast, but we have to be honest with ourselves. In terms of both sides of the ball, these two are the two best players on the planet. I'm I'm okay saying that. I'm gonna get crushed for I mean, this. I think Luca's the... right there, but I Luca's Luca's 23, so he it's okay to yeah. say he has some areas to improve, right. and maybe this will be the year that he does it defensively. But there were some one-on-one matchups, some highlights where Nikola Jokic absolutely put Giannis Antetokounmpo in prison. There was a shot from the right wing baseline area, nearly three-point line, that is one of the most difficult-looking shots. No, it was a three, Kirk. It was a three. Was that a corner three? Kirk, not only was it a three, it was effectively the game clincher. Like, the shot he put, we call it the Sambor shuffle, right leg, right hand. 
and it was a it was like a 180 so it was like a turnaround fadeaway sambor shuffle from the right corner three pointer and he drained it in Giannis's eye like it was nothing and when you watch it he starts running back on defense halfway through the shot like he shoots it and it's like oh yeah that's good and it's just like to see that in Serbia in the largest crowd in, in uh World Cup qualifying history to see it like him hit a clincher like that was just otherworldly he he also put Giannis in a post move. Very few. I don't. I don't. I frankly, I don't remember anybody that's moved Giannis in the post quite like this. And was that you know what shot I'm talking about? It was like in, in overtime where he just basically backs him under the basket mm-hmm. like Shaq used to. <laughs> and and it was funny. This was actually in overtime. And he instead of laying it up, he kind of you can't see this because it's not video, but you can see it, Kirk. He kind of just goes like spins the ball like that as as if to say easy you know what i mean like rather than mm-hmm. just kind of put it in or whatever he did a little almost trick shot just to be like yeah i buried him all the way under the hoop Which... and it was it was so dope yoke i'm telling you man the stories have come out about luca you know he was i allegedly photographed smoking smoking heaters and drinking beer this or that <laughs> Jokic was on that same path up until he was about luca's age and since i don't know what clicked in him but he just started getting in shape a little bit more every year and this that I saw the other day and I saw him in person um, good. And, and was even able to catch up with him very briefly. Um, but he looks to me as athletic as I've ever seen. Like the guy just absolutely, I know people are the fat label is going to follow him his whole career, but I look at him and I'm like, this dude has a six pack. This dude has a dunk where he cocked it behind his head. He's somehow become a, a, a very good athlete. And I, I, he's a two-time MVP. I honestly think he's going to have his best year next year. So this is kind of a nice transition to talking a little bit about Jokic and maybe a little bit about the Nuggets, though I can tell you're kind of bored with the Nuggets as a concept just because you're so you're you're still on this European basketball high. But I mean, I have to do it. I have to do it. So one of the one of the things about Jokic and and here's here's the deal, guys. I know lots of NBA people. I it's been my deal to become friends and get to know lots of NBA media people. Adam was in on Jokic as the oh, yeah. earliest by at least like two years compared to every other Nuggets person I know. He was annoying about him in group chats and, <laughs> and podcasts. He's just like, look, this is one of the better. You're like, this is one of the best basketball players I've ever seen. And this is when, um, what's a guy up in Portland? Uh, but Bosnian Nurkic. gentleman. Nurkic. Nurkic was still kind of the starter and whatever. And so we, you've really got to see the whole ride with, with Jokic and yeah. It's really something to watch this guy play basketball because I think, and please tell me if I'm wrong here, I think once he's on the court, he loves basketball as much as he loves anything. But the process of getting to the court, the media, the bullshit, the fandom, he seems to kind of be over that. Is that a fair assessment? It's not even that he's over it. It's that he never was into it. Like Mm. He never had to get over it because he never wanted it. And I'm telling you, Kirk, after this trip – I have a little bit more of an understanding and appreciation for why. Um, you, like, I talked to some former players that played for the the national team that played for you know the professional teams out there, and they all kind of had the same answer. And they're like, "We just don't think that way, guys." Like, I asked one guy; he's known as a dunker. I asked it for for Red Star, which is one of the teams in Belgrade. I said, "Like, what was your best poster?" You know, and he's like. I don't know. He's like, guys, I don't think like that. I don't know. Mm. Like basketball, I don't think about what I did. I just think about what we did. And I swear, I know it sounds corny and like it sounds like Hoosiers or something, but it's not. It's honestly just the worldview. It's the perspective. And I think that's what Jokic is. 
all the kind of questions the media typically asks about like individual performance and toughness and leadership and all this stuff are like, he's like, what the hell are you guys talking about? It's a group project. I just, we're just, I don't know. Why are you asking me about my post move? And I honestly think that's how he is. He doesn't want any of the fame. He doesn't want any of the media attention for sure. He just doesn't care about any of that crap. But I, I would say this. I don't think he loved basketball a ton early on in his career. I think he was really good at it. And he enjoyed the games, but I don't think he enjoyed the work of it. Some Again, I'm telling you, something clicked with Jokic, and I think it'll happen with Luka at some point. I don't know if it's happened already, but at some point it's going to click where he's like, no, there's actually the work part of it that I have to love too. And Yoke right now, I think he loves the work part of it as much as he loves the games. And that's sort of what separated him over these last few, few years. That's really interesting because when you watch Jokic play and, you know, I have no problem saying this. I would say it to any, any casual that has kind of negative things to say about Jokic. Like if you have negative things to say about Jokic, you're not fucking watching Jokic. You're full of shit and you are going off of narrative and you're going off of stereotype. 95% um, of NBA fans go off of narrative and that's yeah. fine. That's fine. But the American yeah. audience has been trained to kind of go off of that, but the, the actual like, x's and o's of basketball like most of what people are talking about is it's just narrative that they think is x's and o's well and and that sort of allows sort of a decent pivot to to the 2022-23 denver nuggets who are in theory getting back a healthy jamal murray now healthy might be a a there's a range of outcomes here but he is an outstanding basketball player and him even at at a different speed is better than no jamal murray at all and potentially uh, and and in in them eh, enigmatic and extremely fascinating player and Michael Porter Jr., who we were just talking about on group on a different group chat tonight. Like, man, if you Michael Porter Jr. is just he just screams basketball player. He's like the guy. He's like the guy that I think could bring like real hoopers and like analytics nerds together because the different things he does is so fascinating. He, and he's plus, definitely a more of a hooper than a basketball <laughs> nerd or whatever. Whatever so, that is. So what are what are sort of your expectations heading into this year? Because it's been kind of two uh, sub, you know, bottom half of the Western Conference finishes and two MVP seasons, but it's it's not been what you wanted, just mainly due to injury. I mean, look, I, Denver, I thought it's been really good. <laughs> you know, they went to the the second round two years ago, knocking off Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Like they basically beat a fully healthy Portland Blazers. Uh, team with uh, Faku Composo as the starting point guard and Austin Rivers as the shooting guard. Like, a ridiculous lineup, and they won anyway. Um, you know, they managed to... to <laughs> it's funny to say, they hung with Golden State as well as anyone, which is to say they didn't hang with them at all. Golden State smacked everyone this year. But no, they had a good year. They, they would have won 50 games if they didn't rest down the stretch. So um, they did great. And yeah, as you mentioned, you get back Jamal Murray, you get back Michael Porter. I just... My expectations are for them are sky high. I think they are a true contender. Uh, I don't think they're a favorite or anything like that, but I think that they're a team that is um, in line with all of the top tier teams aside from maybe, you know, the Warriors and Celtics both went to the finals and they're going to bring mostly the, you know, the key pieces back. I I, I give those guys a nod just because they've proven it. Sure. But all the other teams, the the Phoenixes, the Milwaukee's, the, the Philadelphia's, to me, Denver is right there with them. Dallas's. Denver is right there with any of them, and I think has as much upside, if not more, than most of them in large parts because they have the two-time MVP, and, and they're getting back basically the same roster they had last year plus these important pieces. Man, I'm I'm looking. 
this international basketball gets me jazzed up for basketball in general, but it's it's sort of a different it's a different vibe. And as much I am really kind of like looking forward to seeing certain stuff, but it's the Nuggets for me are are right along with the Clippers of two teams that are going to barge like right in to the top four of of the Western Conference. But I've been talking with all sorts of different, you know, I'm basically only doing Western Conference interviews because I don't care about the East as a concept because just it's a different deal. And I go through and there's just, I was talking to to our friend Dan Morang last night and I think the Blazers are going to be hot garbage, but he made a really (laughs) compelling case. He's just like, look, they've completely switched out the team. And then there's, you know, there's the dang wolves. Like the, the Northwest division is kind of underrepresented in terms of media discussion, but has just so much interesting stuff going on. And it's led by, you know, the, the, the nuggets, which are just going to be just a monstrous regular season. I, I, I really do think that I think the nuggets are going to be very, very good next year. I'm, I'm pretty high on them. Um, Portland, like Portland's a different class to me. I mean, even yeah. if everything breaks right, they're just, the pieces aren't that, they're no, bad. they're just they're no longer going to be guttered. Like they're just no longer going to be bottom of the barrel type thing. They're going to be a team that you actually have to pay attention to to play well. And you know, it just it goes an unproven coach though too. You know, Kirk. Like, I, and I'm Chauncey's my guy. He's like, you know, he's sure. he's basically Mister Denver. But I, I, I'm not exactly impressed with what's happened with that team so far. And you're talking about to me, Portland is one of those teams that I wouldn't be surprised if we were like wow, I thought that was going to be a lot better. Like we're at Christmas, and we're like, wow, I thought they were going to be one of the players, yeah. and they're just not. Yeah. They're behind Cremento or something. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing. I'm, I'm looking forward to these, these Denver-Dallas matchups. You and I talk a couple times during the season because I think Luka and Jokic really, really get a kick out of playing one another. Like Luka's had some of his best games against Denver. Um, my favorite. Luka. Go ahead. Luca's dad is Serbian. When I was talking about, you know, you, there's the different nationalities, but the diff, also the different ethnicities. Like Luca speaks, I'm told, Serbian extremely well, like fluently. Not, you know, he, he um, his dad is Serbian. I believe his parent, his grandparents, um, live in Kosovo. So he he has like a lot of Serbian roots. In fact, there was a moment in time I believe where he had to pick who he's going to play for, Serbia or Slovenia, and he ended up picking Slovenia. So, geez, I didn't know that. I, and I don't think it was that long ago. I think he was like 14, 15, 16 at the time. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he was eight years old making that choice. Sure. It was sometime when he was already playing professionally. Sure. Well, this this trip that you took was really fascinating to me. You know, you said something to me uh, a, a couple days ago about how the thing that sort of seemed to strike you the most was just the difference in facilities and a difference in training. Tough. And and I wanted you to kind of I meant to talk about this earlier, but you reminded me. Could could you kind of speak on that for a second? Man, I sound like sure. a real NBA reporter. Speak on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Serbia, I don't really know how you classify. We have like first world and we have third world. Serbia, I don't as it's second world. I don't know if there is a second world or what have you, you know, but it's not like you know, things aren't like the US. You go to the Red Star facility, Alexander Nikolic Hall, and it's an old concrete building. You know, it looks like the kind of buildings we had back in the 80s here, you know, that just looks so much. It's so worn and 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 everything. And I don't say that to be derogatory. I'm just saying compared to an American stadium, it's not comparable. And I'll tell you a story because I actually got to sit down with Mishko Raznadovic, who's the most powerful agent in all of Europe. He's Jokic's agent as well. He owns one of the basketball clubs in Serbia uh, called Mega, which has all of the top prospects, more more prospects have come out of Mega Tour and been drafted in the NBA than have from Barcelona over the last decade. 
so you which is like a you know the, one of the top programs so i was sitting with him and he was talking about how Jokic got to the states and he was in mega denver had drafted him and stashed him for a year he wins the adriatic mvp and the nuggets fly over Jokic was about to sign a deal with barcelona so he was going to go from mega play at barcelona maybe one or two years and then come over to the nuggets and arturis karnasovas who's now the gm in chicago but he was the assistant gm uh at the time he went to mishko and he said we need to bring him over now and mishko said he's not ready like let him grow into more of a player he said why is he not ready he said well physically he's going to get eaten up he said that's right is skill wise is he ready for the nba he said yes he goes exactly the only thing he has to do is work on his body and is he going to work on his body in serbia or the u.s mm. and it's like, well, of course it's going to be the u.s because that's here in serbia we don't have that infrastructure um so i say all that to say that to me is i think one reason you see euros especially those that are not coming from france spain you know the uk or whatever maybe germany the ones that come from other nations i think there's not all there's not, it doesn't seem that there's the infrastructure in place right now that's up to the standards of nba in terms of nutrition in terms of tra physical training and those types of things the U.S. obviously is, you know, sometimes teams of doctors. Yeah, it's, sport, it's like sports science. It's not sci They've got scientists out there just trying to, like, grow muscle mass on people. And so it's just a different level. And so I think that's why you see some of these zeros come over. And by the way, it's probably a reason that you see guys like Luca that still have bad habits because in the NBA, you go to Kentucky and you have a nutritionist on staff and you have a yep. train, trainer. You have all these people that are teaching you these things and they're telling you, hey, this is important. This is how we do things. If you don't do them, you're off the I don't think you get that in Europe, and that's probably why some of these guys come in with bad habits that take a little bit longer. Right, right. And the funny part, I, I had a, held a live show earlier today, and Luca's weight is just – it's a gross topic which constantly gets talked about. My favorite thing is I'm just like, guys, we're talking about a guy that's been to three straight all-NBA first teams, and you're bitching about his weight. Uh, I, get, I get I'm it. With, I'm with them, though, on this one, Kirk, and I'm with them for this, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because at this level, like Luca is great. His floor is greatness. Like that's his floor. Yep. But what are you talking about? Winning a title. And what you're really talking about, and I learned this with Yoke, because I was arguing this five, six years ago, kind of on your side with it, just saying like, hey, he's great. Yeah, but he makes it work, but he makes it work. But when it, whatever clicked in Jokic that he decided just to become the best version of himself, like it, he went from being the seventh best to the first best or second or whatever sure. it is you want to MVP. And it's not that much. But it's enough that it's meaningful, and I feel the same way about Luca. He's good enough to get into the Western Conference Finals, albeit in a year where there was a lot of teams that were down and injured and what have you, but it doesn't matter. Yoke made the Western Conference Finals. People said the same thing. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You just make it, you make it. He's good enough to go there. But Luca's such a talent, 23 years old, doing the things that he does, that his ceiling is actually greatest player of all time. <laughs> like, he's 23 years old. His ceiling is the best player ever. So can he do that by... This, the method, the path he's on, probably not. It's going to take him becoming the best physical version of himself. And I do think that that's going to click for him at some point. It probably is. It's probably going to have to cost him a little bit of pain. Sure. Well, and, and you know, we've, I've had international fans, Slovenian fans talking about this, how an international competition since winning Euro Cup, I'm sorry, Eurobasket, Lucas finished like fourth repeatedly in, in international competitions. And when I say, like, I kind of throw my hands up about it, not because I, I think it, he needs, he's good enough. It's mainly because me as a commentator, I can't actually influence him 
Of course. He doesn't, you know, so it's like, it's very, it ends up like I have to kind of curb my language because I don't want to come across as inadvertently nasty when like what you're saying, it, it makes a difference. I mean, it's what took like the little instances of drive is what took Dirk Nowitzki from a good player to an all-timer. He's getting his jersey retired tomorrow by FIBA, by the way. Oh, that's so cool. And oh, by the way, it also cost an enormous amount of pain. And I'm telling you, the longer I follow this sport and the more I do this, the more I realize that there's a real like anger and pain and sadness that underlies all of the greats. And sometimes it can be an unhealthy amount. Like, you know, like Kobe might have made that a maniacal amount of like anger and pain that drove him. And and maybe in an unhealthy way, even Michael Jordan may be the same thing. But the Dirk story is such an interesting one because I do feel like in some ways it cost him more than he possibly could have imagined Um, in a good way. Like I think he overcame it, but I'm saying it cost him so much to unlock a part of him that was even greater than he realized. Man, you were not full of shit when you said this is going to be a great podcast and you're coming on my show. <laughs> Man, Adam bringing the heat. Guys, this is Adam Mara's DNVR. I really cannot recommend their YouTube channel enough. They do the kind of stuff that I wish me as a part-timer could do because they have a great community, great fans. Um, I, I really recommend going and checking out their YouTube page, their website. You know, you guys have subscriber options. They formed a heck of a community, something that I am extremely envious of. Adam, do you have anything else you want to plug before you get out of here? I would just say just go to um, go to our YouTube page, especially if you're interested in our trip. We did some really cool podcasts, um, but there was also these vlogs in there. They're like 10 minutes long, and they're just kind of like, hey, here's what we did today. And they're just a lot of fun. It's like a little travel vlog, uh, you know, but in Serbia with the like drinking and eating and, and all this fun stuff that we were doing along the way as well. Some really interesting conversations. Yeah, so I, I hit those I gotta, up. I got a DM where someone was like, how come you don't go do this for Slovenia? And I was like, well, number one, um, I I can't do what Adam does, but it, it's, I had a great time following. And part of it is because I've gone gambling late at night in Vegas with a couple of the people. So like seeing them in different elements <laughs> is a lot of fun, but there, there's just a lot of like love and that yeah. comes out in the videos it also comes out in the video quality. Like the stuff you guys do is outstanding. Yeah, I appreciate it, Kirk. But yeah, people go check that out because I think you'll really like it. You'll vibe with it. Well, Kirk Anderson, Adam Mara's. this has been a wonderful episode of Kirk Your Enthusiasm. I don't know when I'll be back because every day is a different adventure and the NBA doesn't start <laughs> for like like training camp. Well, we like plays tomorrow. Weeks. You got to wake up early and watch it it's, and then you got to talk about it. It's 10 a.m. I'm probably going to do it, but it's just like I can't commit to it because every time I seem to commit to it, my wife is like, the season hasn't started yet. Shut the fuck up. And I'm just like, basketball is always. Hey, I'm telling you, Eurobasket is really dope. It's really cool. And I, it's one of those things like, you know, you have Kirk does this all the time, guys. We're in several group chats and I, he'll tell me like, Adam, you got to watch the show. You got to watch the show. And I almost never do. But it's like, (laughs) I said almost never, but sometimes (laughs) it'll be like, yo, that was dope. You're right. You know, and that's what I'm telling you with Eurobasket. I'm like, it's actually really, really dope. Like you like NBA basketball. You're not going to have to squint to feel those feelings when you're watching. It's on ESPN Plus, too. And that's why everybody has Luca. You know, all you Dallas fans have Luca. Like, very easy to latch on to Slovenia and be like, wow, I feel these emotions now. And it's high level of play. It's it's chippy. It's all those things. Um, So, yeah. Gorgeous uniforms. Silly side, but, but like, I love the international uniforms. Oh, yeah. So good. All right. 
Thanks for hanging out, team. Everybody have a great week. We'll be back soon.